Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Envision. I'm your co-host, Ronnie Langer-Kroger. Have you ever been curious about the origins of your clothes and other cloth goods? Who made them? How were they made? Where were they made? Can you trace those fabrics back to their roots? Today, we'll be getting to the roots of our threads. I have with me Gianna Seberger, founder of GDS Cloth Goods, an Oakland-based design and production studio responsibly creating staple pieces for wear and use. I'll be talking to Gianna about why knowing where our textiles come from is just as important as understanding the routes of food from farm to table. Hi, Gianna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ronnie. How are you? Great, thanks. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Gianna, can you talk a little bit about your background and what inspired you to start GDS Cloth Goods? Sure. Um, You know, I think the way I grew up in Brazil uh, in the 80s actually has a lot to do with it. I uh, grew up in a community where um, I could see the farmers that lived just outside of the city, you know, they were bringing in the produce that they grew themselves and selling it at farmer's markets. Um, Also, my mom used to send me and my siblings out to get bread most mornings, and we'd go down to the corner baker and, and get our bread and um, and this is really knowing exactly where our food came from was uh, was something that you know we, we didn't even think about it, but we knew it. We knew where it came from, and there was this um, this there was just this clear connection there. And then um, beyond that, there was also a connection with clothing. Um, my grandmother was a seamstress; she was um, already quite old and wasn't really professionally sewing anymore by the time. I was, um, you know, I knew her, but um, that was still something that happened in the house a lot. And, you know, I I would say that probably about half of my wardrobe was made by seamstresses. Um, So other women in town, sometimes just blocks away. Uh, So I grew up in this environment of seeing women make things in my home, um, waking up in the morning and just, you know, hearing the sound of sewing machines, watching um, them draft patterns, actually, and, you know, because then um, in Brazil, it was, it was either quite expensive or they, it just wasn't available to get ready-made patterns um, here. You know, we can go to a store and get Berta and McCall's, and there's just, like, endless designs, and when I was growing up, they were actually making the patterns themselves, um, and I remember going to the home, that, you know, seamstresses worked out of their homes, so I remember going to the homes of other seamstresses to be fitted, even as a little kid, if there was a special event, you know, something, some, something special. Um, that, yeah, that was, you know, that was just part of my life. And um, I didn't think there was anything different about that um, until I came to this country, of course. And, um, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not the life I live. That's not the life I think that most Americans live. Um, I think here in the Bay Area, we do have access to amazing food and farmer's markets. So there's a little bit of that here. Um, and, yeah, and, and I think just speaking about the farmer's market, I think that that is a, a later inspiration in my life. I've been living in Oakland now for uh, over 10 years, and the farmer's markets here are a piece of home for me and, and just something I really value. So, I, yeah, I, I think that those are the things that are kind of like at at the heart of, of my business, really. Yeah, that's really awesome, knowing where all your food and, and fabrics are coming from. I know that you went to art school and came out of art school and went into the textile business. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I I studied at uh, California College of the Arts. Um, they, that school has two different campuses Um, one in San Francisco and one in Oakland, and I mostly studied uh, in the Oakland campus. Um, I was in the sculpture department, and um, I kept, uh, it's it's interesting, I spent actually very little time in the sculpture department (laughs) 
the uh, fiber and textile department was across the street, so I spent a lot of time there. Um, I did take some fashion classes as well, and somehow, I don't know how, I graduated with a degree in sculpture. <laughs> I remember I had a, a metals uh, professor who didn't quite know what to do with me. <laughs> So he, you know, he said, just, just try everything, meet the requirements, and for your projects, you can make your, your textile pieces, and um, it was very accommodating. Um, just kept going back to textiles. There's just something about that material that aesthetically really spoke to me, um, and, it, and it really became, definitely through college and, and maybe still, uh, was a way that I communicated what I was experiencing in the world. Um, so as an artist, it was my medium. Um, and, yeah, and I guess um, in a different way, though I don't really see what I do right now as, as art specifically, um, I feel like I do, you know, I am expressing my concerns uh, about the world and um, through textiles. Um, and then out of college, um, it was interesting because what is, um, what does a college graduate with a degree in sculpture do in the world, um, in the early 2000s? Um, I was lucky enough to, uh, start working for a textile company, um, where I worked for over seven years and I learned a lot of things there. Um, you know, the first um, the, the few years before that, learned a lot about textiles, more from an artistic creative side. Um, but then in, as a, as a textile, uh, assistant textile buyer was the t- my title at the time. Um, I got to learn about, you know, all the variety of textiles available in the world. Um, learned so much about the different fibers. Um, and then the more I learned, the more curious, um, I became actually and started to do a lot of my own research about textiles. Um, a few years in, I, I kind of, I, well, I became fairly knowledgeable. I understood the differences in fibers and um, weave structures and knit structures. Um, I actually started to teach workshops um, about textiles. And um, I guess I, I, it was during that time that I became a, a textile advocate. I don't know how many of them are there are in the world uh, maybe it's a title I came up with myself but um, that's around the time when it started to feel very important to me to share that knowledge with others because it felt like there was a disconnect people you know like like my family um, they well my family taught me uh, so much about textiles and I was born into that environment and I was very lucky but so many other people um, don't don't have that knowledge passed down to them, um, and um, and we're completely surrounded by textiles all the time. It's our bedding, it's our curtains, it's our towels, it's the clothes we wear, it's our furnishings. So it's all important to share that with others. And so now you make cloth goods for everyday use in food and craft. Uh, what got you interested in, in making those specific utili- utilitarian pieces? Yeah, I think it was um, in college that I really started to dive deep into my love for these ordinary things. Um, it was in college that I discovered the word mundane. Um, I, you know, I already knew the word mundane, but I encountered this the other meaning, which the meaning that we know is, you know, lacking interest or something that's a little bit dull. Um, and then the other meaning of it is something that is of the earthly world, which I, you know, I found endlessly fascinating um, as an art student, uh, but still do find very interesting. I think that we're all really engaged with getting away from the mundane, getting away from the experience of living um, our, our day-to-day lives. And um, industrialization helped us a little bit with that. You know, now we have electricity and we can work into the midnight hours and, um, and now we have technology. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this idea and it's partly true and sometimes I... I believe it's actually getting 
completely in the way of us um, actually having more time. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, all of that, all of those ideas, uh, I believe, are, you know, what contribute to me really being fascinated with these objects that we use all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably the biggest influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these everyday products that you're making, I know one of the biggest differentiators of your products is the type of fabrics you use. Uh, use fabrics mm-hmm. that are made to last for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about those fabrics? Sure. Um, I'm working with a lot of denim and uh, other twills and cotton ducks. Um, just to explain a little bit about what those fabrics are, uh, what those fabrics are. Um, they're, most of the fiber, the, the fiber that makes up those fabrics, um, is cotton. So I'm using a lot of cotton. Um, and then the weave structure, um, they're, they're really durable we- woven fabrics that are made to um, last our entire lifetime. So especially if, if it's an apron that we're wearing in the kitchen, um, you know, they're, they're fabrics that aren't going to easily tear or, or fall apart in the wash. Um, the denims that we use are typically salvage denim. Um, the selvage is uh, the edge of the fabric where it, that word comes from, the word self-edge. So instead of there being kind of a raw edge, um, there is uh, the, the yarn kind of wraps around the edge, and um, it creates a more stable fabric. It also is, an ex- is um, yeah, kind of an example of... Um, of its quality. If you see a fabric that has a really nice, beautiful selvage, um, probably means that a lot of thought has been given to the production and the fiber choices that went into that fabric. So it's a sign of quality. Um, so since the beginning of GDS, I've always been very careful um, to pick these fabrics that are very durable and high quality so that our product, so that we can really stand behind our product. That's awesome. Uh, from our past discussions, you mentioned that the more you learned about those fabrics, um, and really their fiber fibers, the more challenging your sourcing became. Uh, what did mm-hmm. you learn, and how did these learnings make your sourcing more challenging? Yeah, um, it was you know it's a little bit unfortunate. It's 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 a hard truth to face, um, and. I'm, and, the, and I make choices every day about how I share this with other people because it's, it's really, um, our fabrics are produced in very harmful ways and these fabrics are everywhere. It's so much, you know, it's, it's very, it's actually quite hard to find products that are made sustainably and ethically um, compared to the number of items that are made in the, you know, what is called now conventional way, which is a really nice way of saying harmful way. Um, but just to give you an idea of what that means, um, the, some of the main issues in producing fiber, textiles, and fashion um, have to do with water, pollution, um, carcinogenic chemicals, and, of course, all of the garbage that is produced, especially, especially with fast fashion. So just to give an example of water pollution, um, dye houses, um, you know, we have some beautifully colored fabrics and prints and um, all of those gorgeous colors come at a cost. Um, water, are, you know, there are cities in this country where um, not only is the water not drinkable, but, you know, people really shouldn't be bathing in it or touching it. Um, and that's, that's a pretty scary issue. Um, and then also with polyester, which is something that I, I find a lot of people still don't know about, but the microfibers um, from polyester fabrics are polluting our ocean, getting into the wildlife. And then, um, I mean, of course, it's just that in itself is terrible. But then, of course, when we eat that wildlife, it's back in our bodies. Um, and it's a, you know, we're doing this in a really, it seems very harmless. We're just washing our clothes and that and the water from, from our laundry is getting into the oceans and that's what's causing the pollution. Um, and then um, with 
with the carcinogenic chemicals, this is um, specifically an issue with uh, growing fibers. So conventional cotton, for instance, uses a lot of pesticides and herbicides, and all of this is very harmful to the land, but then the workers and the communities that live around it. Um, this is an issue in this country, definitely, um, but especially in other countries like India or China, um, where the regulations are a little bit looser and people maybe aren't wearing the proper protective gear. Um, and then, you know, a, a big issue, which uh, I think a lot of people have heard about, is that um, where Americans are big consumers of fashion, and um, sometimes we wear things once, and it's and then it stays in our closet, and then we donate it. And it feels really good because it kind of feels like we're helping someone somewhere. Um, but the truth of the matter is that most of the clothes that we donate to a Goodwill or a Salvation Army end up in a dump overseas somewhere. These, um, all of these T-shirts especially, but lots of clothes, just get um, compacted into bales of clothing and shipped overseas. And that's it, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, so it seems, except that it's, um, it's a huge problem. Um, so, you know, and that's just a, a very basic rundown, just a few examples of how, um, the fiber textile and fashion industry is affecting the world's problems. Um, so in starting my business, I just, I just really didn't want to be part of that no matter how small I was. Um, and not only did I not want to be a problem, I wanted to be part of the solution. So, not only did I not want to participate in that as a designer, but I wanted to, I wanted to help educate others. Um, this is kind of a side note, but I really do believe that customers are very powerful, and they're you know people are highly intelligent <laughs> and uh, and really care if they only have the information. So I hope that by sharing that information, um, people are empowered to make better decisions. Wow, it's it's really heartbreaking to hear about all of the negative impacts of our fabrics and fibers. So uh-huh. how did you go about making your sourcing more sustainable for the environment and the communities that grow it? Yeah, so, um, you know, and just to, I realized I didn't answer a part of your last question, which is that um, once I realized that I wanted to work with more sustainable textiles, um, the, the sourcing became problematic because there aren't very many, um, there, is a, there aren't a lot of options for sustainable uh, fabrics out there. Um, you know, Cone Mills, for instance, who, um, was, was a, they just actually closed their mill in North Carolina, so they're no longer operating in the United States. But um, they did make organic cotton denim, but their minimums were so high that the only way I could get it was uh, through a jobber. A jobber is the kind of like middle person that buys from the bigger companies and sells to the smaller ones. Um, and, uh, and, and they're just so rare. You know, whenever I can get my hands on it, I was really grateful, um, but it's hard to run a business that way. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, Ronnie, can you repeat your last question? I was just wondering how you uh, went about making your sourcing more sustainable for the environment. Right. Yeah, so it was really one situation that, instead, that kind of inspired, had this domino effect. Um, and it, I was, um, so in developing one of our, one of our products, um, I noticed that the organic cotton certification uh, that uh, came along with the fabric was, was somewhat old. Um, and I thought that was suspicious. Um, and w- while I was calling around, calling other um, fabric producers and mills, um, struck some conversations with some people that um, kind of created more suspicion about that, uh, about that certification. So I went straight to the source. I contacted um, the Texas Organic Cotton Marketing Cooperative. They're a cooperative of uh, farms in, in, te- in West Texas, um, and they work together to try to get 
um, the word out about their organic cotton. But I, I went to them because supposedly the fiber was from them. And they said that they hadn't sold to this company that I was buying from in, in a really long time. So it seemed, it seemed strange that they would still be selling this fabric. And there was really no way I could verify it or prove anything. But, you know, there was this moment where I realized if I, in working with big companies, if I can't trust these documents coming from the government, then who can I, you know, I, I don't want to work with them, basically. Um, and that's what inspired me to start, one of the things that really inspired me to um, start going direct to a fiber source and a mill to start creating my own fabrics. Um, the other thing is that I'm extremely fortunate to be in Northern California where there is a an amazing um, revitalization of the textile industry happening. Um, you know, there's a, a new mill in Northern California, um, which we're excited to partner with very soon. And there's fiber being grown here. And there's lots of wool, which is a little tricky for us to use, but we're excited that it's here. Um, so we've, we're learning a lot from this community, and we're making new relationships um, in the textile industry every day. Um, well, maybe not every day, but there, there's a... There's a a, also a new linen. Um, there are linen growers uh, in Chico, um, and all of these companies are growing. So it's really, it's really exciting um, that in the near future we'll have more textiles that we can use. Um, but for now, um, you know, these, these problems are really inspiring us to be creative, um, to find ways that we can make do in the meantime while there's well, more demand for these textiles is, is growing. Um, yeah, so I guess for now, we um, are building the relationships that we can make. The textiles are somewhat limited, um, but we're really excited that this, this is changing and we do see uh, sustainable and ethical textile growth in this country. That's terrific. We need to take a short break. We're speaking with Gianna Seeberger from GDS Cloth Goods, and we'll be right back after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You 
You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Gianna Seberger from GDS Cloth Goods. We've been talking about where our fabrics come from and how to make sourcing more environmentally and socially just. Gianna, I understand that you are in the process of launching a new product by July of this year. Can you tell us about that product? Sure. Um, So it's called Ebb. Uh, Ebb is a reusable cloth coffee filter, and it's made for specialty coffee. Um, It's for sourcing organic cotton for for this product, and we're working really closely with a mill in South Carolina um, using domestically grown organic cotton. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a project we're really excited about. It, it re- replaces um, the need for paper filters. Why did you decide to focus on designing a sustainable coffee filter? Well, I I think of I, I notice I do this sometimes. I uh, tend to problem solve with textiles if there's something in my life that seems like fabric can do it, I'll, I'll do it because it just seems to make sense. And with coffee, when I started um, drinking coffee more regularly, it, um, it just it occurred to me that that should, should be something I should at least try. I, you know, there was all this push from companies to go paperless. I had gone paperless with my billing, so why, why wouldn't I do that with a coffee filter as well? Um, and then... And I, I think the other really, that's, that was just kind of like the logical um, thing that crossed my mind um, a few years ago. And then when I really uh, started making Ebb, it seemed like it was the thing I could do right now. Um, GDS is still a very small studio, and starting a whole fashion line isn't uh, something that we'd like to do in the future. But with the coffee filter, that's a big step and a change that we can make right now. Um, and I feel like those conversations that, we're ha- that we can have, this conversation that we're having right now, um, these are really you know, needed, really important conversations to be having. Um, I sell my products at farmer's markets locally, so I'm having these conversations weekly um, where otherwise, you know, I don't know, I don't know if they would be having these conversations at all. So but that, that feels really important um, and in, in a way reason enough to, to have a coffee filter. Um, but beyond that, it's, um, it's, a, you know, it's a sustainable alternative. It eliminates the need for a paper product. Um, and it's it's reusable, so it's a number of coffee filters that you would use. Um, you know, it's one for maybe 90 to 120 or, or even more paper filters. So um, feels like a significant contribution for us to be making. Totally. You know, one of the things is that, you know, we're so accustomed to these single-use products um, what do you see as some of the barriers to people thinking about and adopting more sustainable products in coffee and, and other areas of their household? And how are you mm-hmm. planning on to overcome these barriers? Yeah, the single-use disposable products seem so easy, and unfortunately we've gotten really used to that. Um, and And it's definitely going to be a challenge for us. Um, and I think where we are making some headway is in really, well, first of all, creating a product that's easy to use. Um, With Ebb, you just, you know, one of the the questions that we get first (laughs) before whether, you know, people asking whether it works is um, how do you wash it? And and it's it's really easy. Just shake it out on the trash or compost and rinse it in water and and that's it. Um, But I think that, um, creating a product that is 
fun to use is is definitely key. So creating something that is beautiful and exciting for people to engage with. Um, you know, I'm I'm a designer at heart, and you know, as I've spoken to, I'm an artist. So um, I, I I've seen, and I'm uh, and I experience this myself that what we respond to sometimes, you know, first often is a beautiful object. Sometimes it's the color of something or the design. Um, so we're we're really paying a lot of lot close attention to that, creating a product that is beautiful, attractive, easy to use, and that it's it's fun, it's exciting. So it's a little contribution to your life. We're not saying, hey, try this, it'll be more work. We're saying, hey, try this, it'll be really fun and enjoyable to use. Um, and there are all of these beneficial um, reasons for it as well. That's not an easy task um, to come up with something that's fun and easy to use and still makes <laughs> delicious coffee. Um, can you talk about some of the design processes that you went through to design the filter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I spoke a little bit about uh, my background in textiles. I've, you know, worked in textiles between my um, past job as an assistant buyer and and now with GDS, it's over 10 years of working with the textile industry. And, um, and you know, I'm so fortunate to um, have been connected with the, the mill in South Carolina and to live in the Bay Area where there are all these, you know, it's a hub for specialty coffee. So it's really... Um, in the middle of all this opportunity. Uh, so really, I, I feel like sometimes I'm just responsible for having this idea and, and connecting the dots. Um, I, so I was the middle person in the development of the filter, um, you know, would get some, a sample of fabric from the mill and make up some samples, hand it over to um, local baristas and, you know, people in the um, experts in the, in the, tech, in the um, coffee industry and get their feedback, send that back to the mill, and it just kind of try to translate these two languages um, was really interesting. I learned a lot in the process about, you know, both developing a fabric and about coffee. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a really interesting challenge. And re- right from the beginning, I realized that um, actually it was a little ways in in the beginning, I was making a linen coffee filter, and then I realized um, after getting some feedback from the community that that wasn't working very well. So um, it was at that moment that I realized if I want to create a sustainable alternative that's actually going to make an impact, that you know that people are actually going to use and replace their paper filters, it has to work just as well as a paper filter. <clears throat> and... Um, yeah, so that's when I started to work with the local baristas, and I, I took that challenge on um, very seriously. And uh, yeah, so now we have Ebb, and, and th- this is what I mean when I say that it, it's uh, it's made for specialty coffee um, because you know, I, I, as much as I love coffee, I'm not I'm not a coffee nerd. I'm not um, uh, that's not the the main reason, you know, why why I'm doing it. It was really to, to create that um, really great sustainable alternative that, that actually works. So it sounds like the process of design really engaged the community of baristas and, and other people. Um, you're also doing that right now to raise money. Um, so in order to get this coffee filter to market, um, you needed to raise money and chose to run a Kickstarter campaign, which is in its final days. Can you tell us a little bit about that campaign? Why did you choose to raise money through Kickstarter? How much are you raising? And what will the, be, what will the funds be used for? Yeah, so it re- this product really made sense for crowdfunding. Um, it was, you know, we had several choices, and it just, it, to me, it seemed like the combination of, of things that we could get out of a, of, of a crowdfunding campaign uh, really made sense. Um, and one of them being a larger community. So, um, yeah, the platform is, I think, designed perfectly for 
um, product makers like myself, um, contributors to the campaign will be the first to receive the actual product that they helped fund. That seems really beautiful. Um, so we're excited to be there right now. Um, we're raising $16,000. We're uh, nearing 15 right now. Who knows, maybe we reached 15 in, during this, um, this radio show. That would be very exciting. Um, and all of that is going to the production of Ebb in some way or another. So 35% of it is going to uh, the custom development of the fabric um, that includes a mill visit uh, towards the end of the development so we can guarantee um, the quality of a very crucial point in the development of the fabric. About 17% is going towards the packaging of the product. Um, 22% is going towards just the rewards, putting on a Kickstarter. I realized, thank goodness, I did a lot of research ahead of time. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, of course, making, making the products are, um, there's all of the expenses associated with that, but then there are also the campaign fees, which is another, um, another chunk of that. Um, and, and then also the Kickstarter will help us um, expand our studio just a tiny uh, just a small amount so that we can continue to keep the production in our studio. Um, <clears throat> this is something that's really important to me. Instead of um, outsourcing the production of it, it's a very, really simple product to make. It would be very easy to do that um, and still maintain the quality, but um, we really want to keep our name attached to all the products that come out of our studio. So, um, yeah, that, that's really important to us. That's really exciting to hear that you're getting close to the end and getting close to your goal on the Kickstarter campaign. I just looked it up, 14,846. Okay, um, not quite there yet. <laughs> almost, though. Um, how can our audience contribute to this campaign, and what are some of the perks they could receive from the contributions? Yeah, so the, um, the campaign can be found very easily if you go to kickstarter.com and type in EBB, that's just E-B-B. Um, it should be the first project that comes up uh, or the first campaign that comes up. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, we have some really exciting uh, rewards. They're, um, I've given them a lot of thought since, um, you know, I, I didn't want to go the route of a, a branded T-shirt um, that just, your, you know, branded product that just didn't really feel like it aligned with um, our sustainability goals. Um, <clears throat> so all of our rewards um, get uh, come with an EB filter. Um, there's one where you get just a, a coffee filter, and then there's uh, another one where you get three coffee filters, which um, is either about a year's supply or is um, a great reward if you want to share it with others and give it as gifts. Um, and then there are two collaborations with other local artists and designers. One is, um, we call it a walnut base. It's a um, piece of wood, uh, of walnut, um, that is made to go with the Hario V60. This is a, um, a dripper for pour over that is really common. And, um, you know, people, it's, it's one of the gear that, uh, the, that if you're really obsessed with coffee, you definitely have it. Um, so... That is an option, and it's made by uh, San Francisco designer Hannah Quinn. Uh, and then there's a coffee towel, which is a dish towel um, that doubles as a brew guide, um, which was illustrator, illustrated by the artist Maria Shetler here in Oakland. Um, and then there's an apron made by us. Uh, we call it the barista apron, kind of in, in the theme of coffee making. Um, and then the, there's the, um, the one where you get um, all of the things combined in one. Um, and that's it, because of the way uh, Kickstarter is set up. We call it all of the above. Um, but yeah, all of these can be found on, on the Kickstarter page. And yeah, we're really proud of our collaborations and, um, and just the, the quality and thoughtfulness that went into all of the designs. Terrific. We need to take another short break. Just enough time for all of you to go on kickstarter.com, either through your phone or jump on your computer and contribute to Gianna's Kickstarter campaign. Um, we're speaking with Gianna Seberger from GDS Cloth Goods, and we'll be right back.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and we'll want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We are speaking with Gianna Seberger from GDS Cloth Goods. GDS Cloth Goods is an Oakland-based design and production studio creating aprons, smocks, and other cloth goods in small batches for people who work in food and craft. Gianna, I'd like to switch gears a little bit to the future of GDS Cloth Goods. How do you see GDS Cloth Goods expanding over the next five years? Yeah, this is something we've been thinking a lot about. Um, You know, what we'd really love to see is a little bit more present... um, in farmers markets, so currently we're um, selling in a few in Oakland, so maybe getting a little bit outside of um, just the East Bay into San Francisco and um, other areas of the Bay, um, and also expand to uh, and see some of our aprons and filters in um, in cafes and grocery stores um, around the country. Um, definitely, uh, that's a, a push that we'd like to make. Um, and, you know, even though we would absolutely love to see, um, online sales grow and, um, that's something we're working towards as well, really making, um, a bigger, pre- uh, presence here in the community is, um, it's kind of at the heart of it all. Um, and, you know, beyond the aprons and coffee filters, um, which is our focus right now. Um, the next step is to expand the clothing line, and that is going to look a little bit different than um, maybe what we're used to seeing right now. Currently, fashion is um, on a you know the fashion calendar, which is very seasonal, and there's new clothing coming out several times a year. Um, our model would be a little bit different from that, um, and it would be using you know completely sustainable fabrics, so no more conventional cotton, um, and also to start sourcing even more locally. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a local mill um, just outside of Sacramento. Um, Probably continue working with the mill out in South Carolina as well, but all organic cotton. um, And definitely we hope to start using uh, more hemp in the future. Um, That's an industry that is um, expanding um, in the in the United States, um, it's been 
uh, very challenging to grow hemp in the United States, um, but it's starting to be allowed in some places. So we're really excited about that. So, yeah, but just growing the production of our the products that we make currently um, here in our studio, but also um, of a small clothing collection. Um, and in order to do all of this, we need to grow our um a production space. So that's um, that's something that we hope to do slowly um, and organically. So that's, but definitely in five years, um, we should be producing a lot more than, than we are right now. And you mentioned that you're looking to grow your production base in, you know, one of, one of our conversations, you talked about wanting to keep that local in Oakland. Um, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it's you know this is this is where I live. This is what where I call home now. Um, I, I I'm very connected to Oakland. I've been here for um, over ten years, about twelve years, I think. Lose track of time. Um, and there's you know it, it maybe partly it reminds me of of where I'm from and the the diversity of where I'm from. Um, but Oakland feels very interesting and constantly inspiring. Um, I don't, I'm sure if I moved and lived somewhere else for, you know, long enough, I'd find reasons to become really grounded in that, um, in that new city as well. But, um, yeah, I love the proximity to nature here. I love it that there are like-minded, um, people in the textile industry and, um, we all seem to be growing together here. Um, so it just is, feels like the perfect place for me to start and really grow my business. What does long-term success look like for GDS Cloth Goods? Yeah, I, you know, it's a, I feel like I almost spoke to that. Um, long-term success to me is, I think, is me looking around and seeing a lot of other fashion designers and product designers designing sustainably and, you know, let's say 10 years down the road, um, hopefully by then we're, you know, a successful thriving business and if other, if we can inspire other designers to, to do the same um, and there are a handful of them, then that's, that that's success to me. Um, together, all of us changing um, the perception of these sustainable products is um, not just something that belongs in a you know a health food store or something like that. That it's something that should be in in every single grocery store, and um, and that's just what our fashion should be like. Um, yeah, that would that would be a really amazing day. What do you think it'll take to get this in, you know, every every store? Hmm. Well, it's probably going to take quite a bit of marketing. Um, I think working on our branding is something that um, we're really focused on. Um, and the partnerships, I think partnerships in coffee um, are really key. Uh, partnerships with bigger companies that can help us take that first step. Um, So that's what we're working on right now. So the last question before we wrap up, in addition to the Kickstarter campaign, how can our audience get involved with and support GDS Cloth Goods? Like maybe, you know, what kind of partnerships are you looking for? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first uh, and probably most obvious way, um, if you're local, you know, come out to a farmer's market. Uh, We love to meet new customers. Um. We are at the Temescal Farmer's Market most Sundays. We have a uh, calendar on our website. That website is gdsclothgoods.com. There's a calendar tab, and you can see which days we'll be at which farmer's market. Um, And like I said, we're um, hoping to be at more farmer's markets soon, so hopefully we'll be coming out to you in the near future. But... um, and then uh, also shopping online. We, we do have an online store. Um, currently, there are um, several pre-order items um, available, pre-order smocks. There's a climate-beneficial smock available there. 
um, using FibroShed created um, climate beneficial wool. Um, this is a completely Northern California uh, created textile. Um, it's um, it was woven by um, the mill. I've mentioned a few times, and um, it's a just beautiful piece, and I'm very excited to be part of it um, to get to design with it. Um, and um, there was a second part to your question. Um, what kind of partnerships are you looking for? Yeah, the the partnerships were building partnerships with um, coffee companies. That's um, that's something that's really important to us to be um, recognized in the specialty coffee community. Um, and also beyond that, um, I'm hesitant to say Whole Foods now with the with the whole changeover, um, but to get into a larger grocery store chain. Um, I think would be fairly significant um, for a product like Ebb Filter. Um, and so wholesale um, partnerships, you know, are, are a key part of, of the growth of the product. So looking forward to that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Gianna. It was a pleasure thank having you, you on the show today. Today we spoke with Gianna Seberger about how GDS Cloth Goods is changing the conversation around our clothes and cloth goods. Um, if you haven't already, um, check out GDS Cloth Goods' Kickstarter campaign by going to kickstarter.com and looking up Ebb Filters. Um, help them reach their goal before, um, before the next couple of days. Also, look for announcements on our voiceamerica.com homepage, and you will find a recording of today's show and other shows and social media links. And if you're looking for support on starting or growing a freelance business, small business, or startup with positive community impact, please visit us at Optima Business Bootcamp. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm Ronnie Langer-Croger, and this is Envision. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.